Welcome back to Warehousing Unboxed, an IWLA podcast. Today's episode unboxes advocacy, specifically why government affairs is crucial to successfully delivering warehousing services. From local legislation to federal regulations affecting the 3PL warehousing industry, the government affairs landscape is constantly changing. Members of the International Warehouse Logistics Association are at the forefront, ensuring warehouses across North America are well-informed and policymakers understand the vital role of the warehouse logistics industry in the supply chain and the broader economy. Today, two influential leaders join us to discuss their experience with warehouse government affairs and what strategies they use to stay ahead of the government policies and regulations. You're listening to this episode, so chances are you already know a little something about the 3PL warehouse industry. But that's not always the case for policymakers. They don't have a full understanding of an industry they are proposing to regulate. And this often leads to unintended consequences that negatively impact the warehousing industry and indeed the economy at large. This is why government affairs is crucial to our industry, to educate lawmakers and influence government policies and regulations that directly impact the 3PL warehousing industry. IWLA, from its inception in 1891, has always been directly involved in government affairs. In fact, it was an advocacy effort to change railroad demurrage policies that prompted warehouse operators to organize as an association more than 130 years ago, and many of the issues faced then are still relevant to this day. As a collective voice for all members, IWLA represents common interests and provides greater influence and credibility when engaging with government agencies, legislators, and policymakers. Through cooperative engagement in government affairs, IWLA enables members to protect and advance their interests, stay informed and compliant with regulations, and collaborate with others in industries to address common policy changes. So, what can a trade association like IWLA do to ensure the 3PL warehouse industry is being properly represented? To start with, let's break down the IWLA legislative agenda. This agenda is based on the principles of good jobs, fair working conditions, and safe secure supply chains performed through the third-party warehouse-based logistics industry. This agenda creates a guideline for how and when to advocate for and against government policies. There are five top policy areas, promoting workplace safety and health, ensuring supply chain safety and security, promoting healthy labor relations, pursuing responsible budget and tax policies, and strengthening America's competitiveness. We've touched on the importance of warehouse government advocacy and the IWA legislative agenda, but now let's shift gears to the heart of episode four, an interview that brings these policies to life. Today, IWA government affairs coordinator Bruce Linderman sits down with two industry experts and key players in navigating the intersection of government policies and warehousing. Please enjoy CEO of Integrated Distribution Services, Inc. and former IWA chairman of the board, Mark DeFabis, and President and CEO of People Services, Inc., and current IWA Board Convention Officer, Doug Sibola. All right, well, good morning and welcome back to Warehousing Unboxed, Episode 4. Uh, my name is Bruce Linderman. I'm the Government Affairs Coordinator here at IWLA. I kind of handle all the legislative and regulatory affairs and, and coordinating our activities around that, whether it be labor, transportation, environmental, taxation, you really name it, and mostly at the federal level, but also uh, trying to, to become more involved at the state and local level as well. 
Today, we want to welcome our two guests. Um, first, we have Doug Sibilla, who is president and CEO of People Services in Canton, Ohio. And then we also have Mark Fabus, Integrated Distribution Services in Plainfield, Indiana. And we welcome both of you and good day. Glad to be here. So if, uh, just to get started here, I just want to you know, let, let you guys uh, tell us about uh, yourselves. Um, can you give both give us a, a brief summary of kind of your career history in warehousing and kind of how you how you became leaders in the industry. Well, I, I actually started my career out of college working for local government and got a good dose of that. And then uh, you f- find I found out very quickly you don't want to make a career in government, or at least I did not want to make a career in government. And uh, as and then got out into the private sector and entered the warehousing industry, the 3PL industry in 1993, and uh, been in it ever since in, in various evolving forms. But uh, I think that was one of the things that I've always been involved in politics, uh, and especially having worked for local government, you get a sense of kind of the things that local government really does well and the things they don't do well and really what's needed uh, from the private sector in order to help them do the best things possible for the community. I'll put it that way. Yeah, this is Doug Sibola, and uh, glad to be here today as well, Bruce. A little different uh, approach. I Basically, I'm a third-generation family business member, been involved in trucking and transportation my whole life. However, when we went to college, uh, we have a rule that you have to go somewhere else first before coming back. So I spent three years with Anderson Consulting, which is now Accenture, the last year with their logistics practice in New York City. So hopefully I had some skills to bring back. And I've been back now since 1990, so 33 plus years in the warehousing and transportation. And and with that family ownership mentality, which we're also a, a partial ESOP employee stock ownership plan, that 20% of the company is owned by the employees. So with that comes a lot of community engagement. And as a result, we were encouraged uh, based on the example of my, both my grandparents and my parents of being involved in the community, volunteering their time with various civic organizations, including political organizations, to try to make the community a better place and advocate, uh, like Mark had mentioned, for good policy. And part of that was engagement with trade associations, such as the International Warehouse Logistics Association, IWLA, as well as the Ohio Trucking Association and American Trucking Association, where, you know, educating both local, state, and federal officials on, you know, impacts of potential policy to our industry, our businesses, and our communities. And so that community engagement was ingrained in us at a very young age and continues today, which is why part of our engagement in IWLA and particularly the government affairs efforts. So it it sounds like you both kind of learned the value of advocacy early on in your careers, even before becoming leaders in the industry. Was was there a particular moment kind of in your career where, or a particular event or policy perhaps that kind of flipped that switch on and and really made you want to get more involved with government affairs? Well, I, I can share a, a personal story where one where was already engaged, however, uh, kind of kicked it into hyperdrive where I was driving a company car and was struck by a uh, drunk driver that went on to hit a limousine filled with several high school kids coming home from a high school dance and ended up killing two of them, including himself in the accident, stopped to give first aid. And because Ohio at that point did not have joint and several liability, 
that if they could prove I was 1% contributory for that accident, I was on the hook for the entire thing. So despite stopping to give first aid, which actually, uh, ironically, the only person that got money out of the accident was an individual that I gave first aid to that prevented people from moving him when he had a shattered pelvis and a ruptured spleen. Shortly thereafter, through tort reform uh, efforts in Ohio, we were able to get joined several liability, which means you're only liable for the percent that you're contributory of the accident, which obviously made Ohio a much more business-friendly environment and state. So that was basically a turning point in my career of understanding that if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. I, I would say, Bruce, that, you know, what D Doug and I are very, very similar, I think, in, in really our activism in, in the government affairs area comes from, I think, a, um, being brought up to have a habit as a part of your civic responsibility. I mean, I think it's a part of any democracy that the citizens need to be involved in the election process and in speaking with their representatives so that they understand. I think one of the things I found by time working in local government is, is how much government does not know about the things they are trying to regulate or legislate. They, they get a very narrow slice many times of of an entire picture or an entire issue, and then are asked to act upon that. And I think anytime that you can provide them a broader perspective and a more detailed perspective on some of the things that they're trying to deal with, it really adds to better government in the long run. So from my standpoint, it's always been, I felt a civic responsibility to be participant in the, in the democratic process in, in all of its forms. And you find out over the course of time, especially in our industry, the 3PL industry, how how little anybody in government knows about us and what we do. The amount of confusion over it was uh, was is surprising when you when it comes right down to it. And and certainly, you know, one of our uh, as a trade association, one of our big efforts is to educate policymakers and lawmakers on some of the, the policies they're trying to implement that they, you know, often have unintended consequences on. You know, obviously, this is, is one of the, the big activities that we partake in uh, in our government affairs activities. But kind of as a warehouse professional, what what are the best ways that, that you would recommend for a warehouse professional to get involved in government affairs, either at a local level or with, with within the trade association? I think you bring up a couple of good points. One, you know, start locally whether it's paying attention to local school board races or you know city council races or people that are represented get get to know them get to understand what their background is what their experiences are you know participate in the elect in the electoral process making sure you read up on the candidates try to get to to know them if you can from one of the things that our trade association does try to promote is, you know, both through our fly into DC, but also meet with your uh, elected representatives in your, you know, at your facilities and place of business. So you can show them firsthand the role that we play in the supply chain. Obviously during COVID, it was raised everybody's awareness of the impact that we have being essential and, and able to keep things uh, moving and going, but still a lot of uh, misunderstanding or, or just really ignorance of, of, and ignorance means not knowing, that they don't know what they don't know. And unless you give them an opportunity uh, to see firsthand the role that we play in supporting manufacturers and supporting retailers and, 
and doing the last mile that we're we're more often than not the last people to see the goods before they reach you know our customers customers and the role that we play in the supply chain as far as good jobs uh, good career paths you know we have a lot of multi-generational employees i have a lot of my leadership management senior management team that started out at you know on on the warehouse floor so those are some things that you know people don't know about our industry that part of the government advocacy that we try to to share whether it be at the state level the federal level or the local level but start at the local level because a lot of times those representatives that may start out as a city councilman become a state representative or state senator and then you know more often than not end up in the federal you know whether it be congress senate or in the uh, executive branch at the state level. Yeah, I think yes, you definitely have to start local and build build a relationship with those local office holders, whether they be county councils, city councils, uh, your local uh, U.S. representative, and, and your state senators. And I think a lot of people have a trepidation about going out there and and speaking to elected officials. But I think you know. Um, my experience has been the the best ones are always interested in speaking with you and learning more about your business and what you do. The truly best elected officials want to be and do the best job possible and want to have all the information. And you, you know, again, I tell everybody they're just like just like you and me. You know, the more information they have, the better job they can do. And uh, I think most of them you'll find are very easy to to approach, very approachable, very willing to to hear your story and would be very interested to hear your story, especially as Doug talked about the kind of things that that our industry is really known for, which is family owned, multi-generational businesses uh, offering not only great jobs, but great career paths. And it's even more important because of that, uh, while why I have gotten involved in some of the educational issues in the state of Indiana and the educational pathways so that uh, we can make sure that we do have individuals coming out of our state colleges and our high schools even that have a skill set that can be employable within our industry. So that's always a good place to start is within the education area. I, I think another area that I know we've been actively engaged in is even at your local chamber of commerce. A lot of the local chambers have you know, both networking opportunities as well as, you know, they may have a legislative committee and just helping them understand how potential, you know, issues, again, whether it be at the local level, you know, a, you know, a sales tax or, or property tax increase uh, at the local level, the state issues for business attraction, et cetera, to federal issues and how they impact our, our industry. So we're, we're very active in our local chambers and on those kind of committees. And again, and from that, you also learn about other people's industries and issues and where we may align or where there may be some differences that, you know, more often than not able to, to be, you know, bridged or addressed. And so that way you can find other leverage points that aren't just your industry, but in general business and then, and have those people help you know, carry the torch, so to speak, for, you know, advocating for those, you know, positive pro-business policies and, and legislation. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll say this, Bruce, that really it, when I first got involved in government affairs and IWLA in the in the mid mid 90s, we were issue oriented. An issue would come up and we'd mobilize and and try to uh, speak to individuals uh, to inform them about the direct impact or most of the time it was the unintended consequences of their actions and what it meant for us. But I had, it's taken us a while, but we really have. And I think uh, IWLA is now the point where government affairs is really an ongoing effort to do it and only do it around issues when they crop up is really your playing catch up. And now I think we're doing a much better job. And as you try to get more individuals in our industry involved, the idea is to keep the conversation going, even though there may not be an issue, there may not be something that's hot at the moment. The idea of continuing to speak to your representatives about our business, how we're doing, where the, where we see the general economy going as it impacts us, those kinds of things are all important for the long term. And again, don't relate to an immediate issue, but are important as you're trying to build a relationship and build an understand, help build an understanding for our representatives about our industry and, and uh, the things that are important to us. Yeah, I think to echo what Mark had mentioned, the fact that, you know, I think years ago we were very reactive that, you know, for example, a state would talk about trying to increase revenues and look at trying to put a sales tax on you know, storage or handling services, which would then potentially encourage companies to go away from that state into other states. So, but, you know, now we have turned that into a, you know, making sure that we're watching issues that may be at the state level, as you mentioned earlier in your introduction, Bruce, because a lot of times, you know, issues at the state start to spread to other states. And if we can nip it in the bud early, so to speak, or at least provide some input that they may have some very well-intended or you know, in good intentions. However, the actual implications of the application of that policy would cause some a lot of unintended harm. And to be able to educate what that harm might be, what that risk might be. And I think the other thing that I'm, I'm proud of our association, and particularly the, the government affairs approach, is we try to offer solutions as opposed to, well, don't do that. But we try to be proactive. It's like, well, that won't work. However, this is a way that that maybe it, it could work. You know, a couple of issues that we're watching, you know, closely now is that, you know, we all want cleaner air. The question is, how do we get there? And even if I wanted to convert my fleet to electric or zero emission, you know, you're talking about a 10 to 20 year process to, to do that. Because um, you can't just go replace each, you know, your equipment each year. Um, and that there may be other alternatives between the hydrogen or the natural gas powered, particularly for the power units. You know, we're obviously looking at the electric on the forklifts, um, but, you know, how we encourage that transition, you know, is a different question than, you know, whether or not it should be done. Well, and, and you both spoke there of, uh, you know, meeting with your federal officials, building those relationships, maintaining them, you know, being at the table before they even write the, the legislation a, a lot of the time, right? But uh, I, I want to touch on one of our premier events that we do, which is our legislative fly-in, where we go to Washington, D.C., we bring a lot of our members with them, where they all get to meet with their particular members of Congress, as well as relevant uh, committee members and, and other policymakers. But I, I want to ask both of you kind of, 
what value do you find from attending these flying events for yourselves? But then also what value do you, does it add for the industry? I, I think anytime you can speak with your representative kind of in DC, in their office, um, you're always going to leave an impression. And uh, the repetitive nature of it, to do it regularly so that they learn who we are, learn our name, again, is extremely important. Not in the, maybe in the short run, because there may not be something there, but again, building that relationship over the, over the long run. And I, I, I've, I've always enjoyed the fly-ins. One, the information that we're able to, to, uh, to learn about what's actually going on not necessarily on the legislative front, but on the regulatory front. What are the regulatory industries doing or regulatory agencies doing? And that's just as important as keeping your finger on the pulse of the legislative activity. And, uh, and I think that's been extremely important. We had, you know, one of the things that I take the most satisfaction out of over my time working with the IWA Governor Affairs is it was the Food Safety Modernization Act. That after that act passed, then it came and fell upon the, the FDA and the regulatory agencies to actually write the rules of the road for that law. And uh, because of our efforts during the passing of the legislation, we were as, actually asked to come to the table and help write the regulations. So uh, it's, it's very satisfying to know that your, our efforts paid off in that way. And we were able to help the agency write the regulations that not only met the policies that they were trying to address, but did it in a way that was that was beneficial to the industry and didn't put a lot of unintended consequences in our laps. Yeah, a good example of that was the fact that when they were originally drafting the legislation, they were going to make us responsible for notification of recalls when we don't own the product or take title to the product, which very plain and simple to us. However, they didn't understand the concept that we didn't own the product. So how could we trigger or be responsible for a recall? Now we could help with the tracking and tracing through our inventory control and our expertise, which they finally appreciated and understood and adopted the legislation or the regulatory rule accordingly, you know, based on that input that otherwise could have had some major, you know, interruptions in the supply chain and, and, and food safety and so forth. So, you know, a good example of, you know, our association coming to to help educate the regulatory people, as well as when we go on the, the calls. And it is important to consistently do the fly-in because staff changes, that even if you have a relationship with, you know, your representative, it's also important to get to know their staff that help advise the representative on policy or help write legislation and particularly uh, people that are involved in key committees, whether it be the TNI, whether it be labor, uh, whether it be the environment, that we're able to help them, you know, hopefully get a better understanding of just the role that we play, how that impacts. A couple of things that, you know, in the past we've had, you know, representatives from OSHA, where we actually had an OSHA alliance to help reduce workplace injuries. Um, we know that our, our industry is currently being targeted due to the fact of some big players that aren't really warehouse operators, i.e., you know, the Amazons and some of the retailers that do distribution work that have higher than normal or than industry average uh, injuries. But how can we work together to lower that and have everybody be better operators is one of the missions that we 
that we work. And so by going to Washington and meet with the regulatory agencies, as well as the representatives, we can help educate and hopefully get better policies, you know, to the goal that everybody wants, you know, whether it be safer work environment, a more business friendly environment that will help economic growth and, and raise the uh, well-being of, of everybody. And, and I want to touch on something you mentioned there, too, that just how important it is to meet with the staffers in the congressional offices, like you said. Having Capitol Hill experience myself, I know how much they're responsible for on the day-to-day. Usually, it's not the congressman who is up to date on the latest rail safety issue. It is the staffer who's working with, with the STB or Department of Transportation. So, you know, a lot of times people get discouraged when, oh, I can only meet with the legislative director and, and so-and-so's office. And um, yeah, I I think you. I want to stress the point that no, it's just as important to meet with them, if not more important, because they're often the ones writing the uh, the language of the bills. But going back to what you were just saying there, Doug, about the kind of targeting the Amazons of the world, OSHA did recently announce their national emphasis program that targets warehouses and distribution center operations. You know, this is based on those reportedly high injury rates, unfortunately, primarily driven by the Amazons of the world. But we unfortunately get lumped in with uh, with them, uh, according to the the NACS codes, which are the North American Industry Classification System codes. We are hoping to, to, to change those. But can you talk about kind of what differentiates uh, the, a 3PL warehouse from kind of those high volume retail warehousing operations that are really being targeted under this NEP? Well, number one, we don't take title of the goods that we're that we're handling. So we're not acting as a retailer or distributor of you know items that we own. So we only provide the service. And as a result, the people that we provide those services for have options. So we're automatically going to be more inclined for safety and other reasons because those people are not going to want to put their product with people that are not performing at a high level due to some potential shared liability and other concerns, or at least that's not the kind of customers that we'd want to do business with. So there are some differences. Plus our core business is, you know, the receiving, handling, storage, and shipping of, of goods. It's not the marketing. It's not the the retail side of the business of trying to sell the merchandise as opposed to being able to handle the merchandise. So there's some differences just the way that we're set up and what our, our core business is and what we're dedicated to doing. Yeah, I would echoing what, what Doug said. I mean, we're in a competitive industry that if we were to, to get a reputation of having high injury rates or high losses, high thefts, et cetera, you're not going to compete very effectively. And not going to be around very very long. You, you have a lot of them, and again, I'll use the Amazon example. That, as Doug said, Amazon's really focused on selling the product. Whether they have anything that's happening in the warehouse in the end, their ultimate business focus is on getting that product out of their warehouse to the customer that's purchased it. It's not about focusing specifically on what's happening within the warehouse, how and how they can do that the best. That's not their core competency. Although they're very good at it, it's not a core competency. Yeah. And in addition to that, when we spend our first dollar, it's on that inventory control system. It's on that safety. It's on the equipment. It's on the facilities. It's not on those other ancillary things of, of how to market our products or how to get more products or how to grow market share around the retail and e-tail distribution. And yet continuing on kind of the regulatory side of, of things that you brought up, you know, we've we've faced a lot of 
recent regulatory activity from the Biden administration, the uh, kind of the labor cops that have been out there, rulings on everything from joint employer, independent contractor status, new rules on worker walk-around representation in warehouses for inspections, now overtime revisions uh, that are being introduced uh, on top of, you know, OSHA's NEP, as well as kind of illness and injury reporting standards, heat regulations, um, you know, the list goes on and on. But what 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 do you see as the biggest regulatory hurdles facing the 3PL industry right now? Well, I would say you, you've pointed out a lot of the, it's oftentimes a few bad actors that will instigate legislative action on the state or federal level to uh, address a problem that is perceived to be widespread, but is really only concentrated within a few actors within the industry. And I think that, again, that's part of the reason why you need to have a consistent government affairs efforts so that we're explaining, and again, IWLA as as a association, our members are, are, are good actors, I'll put it that way, are, are sensitive to these matters because we're in, a more, we're in a very competitive industry. If we didn't treat our workers right, if we didn't do a lot of these things that they're trying to regulate for, uh, we wouldn't be in business. So a lot of it is, is uh, again, I think you're talking about the regulatory state probably offers some of the, the biggest risk to our industry in the sense of trying to get and pass legislation and regulations to address problems that are perceived to be widespread that are not. Or, or where they have a uh, solution looking for a problem uh, in that, you know, being, you know, overly active of, you know, and basically follow the money and the rationale, particularly around the attacks on the independent contractor, which is really an effort to try to grow union membership, regardless of whether or not it actually would improve uh, the condition of those those individuals. We operate both union and non-union operations, and we don't manage any differently between the two. And maybe there was you know reasons for unions at one time, but we don't see that that need, particularly where a government trying to be proactive and and stack the deck uh, against the employer for union representation for their own political gain. So that is one of the areas that we're watching closely of, of what we're trying to do between the independent, appropriate independent, you know, contractor language that has worked very well for a lot of years, um, as opposed to some of the things that they're trying to do now that made some of it have been a result out of the gig economy, the, you know, the Uber drivers and other kind of things that really doesn't apply to our industry. A couple of the other ones, as you mentioned earlier, all the walkarounds where, you know, OSHA can and come in and could potentially invite a union representative to do the tour and walk through with you, which is just, you know, astounding to most people that you wouldn't believe, well, how would that happen? It's like, well, that's part of the proposals of what they're trying to to do as opposed to, you know, having a truly independent, you know, OSHA representative that is there to focus on, you know, workplace safety, uh, which we actually proactively invite through some of the safety programs out there, you know, invite OSHA in to do inspections through the Safety Health Awareness Recognition Program. And there's other programs on the national level that that our industry has been a part of to try to promote safety to be, you know, ahead of the curve to make sure that we are meeting and exceeding any of the expect, expectations out there. 
And I think, you know, to piggyback, uh, I mean, Doug speak, their current administration does have a bias towards um, unionization and helping unionization efforts. There's no question. And I think, you know, that highlights what we've done at our company to try to help with the advocacy of, of, of those regulations by letting our workforce know, hey, you might be, do you, did you know that the federal government is looking at a regulation that would allow a union to come in without a, without an open ballot? You, you may have a union that you didn't, you didn't even get a chance to vote for. Those kinds of things. And so we try to, uh, where, where it's a direct impact on the worker, we've, and we've kept our employees advised of those activities that are out there. And uh, again, the times that you, if you get it, have an opportunity to have a representative or someone visit your workplace, let them talk to our employees and, and let our employees tell them directly what they're seeing and what they don't like. I think that becomes very impactful as well. But it's, again, part of the broader government affairs effort is, in, is include include your workforce and some of these things are going to directly impact them. Obviously, you know, government affairs is a constantly changing landscape. Uh, new rules and regulation is introduced at you know, federal, state and local level almost every day. What are some of the strategies that you employ to kind of stay abreast of the evolving government policies, regulations and, and things that could impact your warehouse operations? Well, we obviously rely on you, Bruce, through IWLA. Uh, to help us look at those national levels, but also at the the state level, being involved and paying attention to what's going on, you know, in your county, in your community, at the state level as well. You know, we're involved, as I mentioned, some of the Chamber of Commerce, some of the state. We actually have an Ohio State chapter for IWLA uh, that we work closely with the Ohio Trucking Association, that we have a lot of very similar values and needs as far as business positions. And so we use them to help you know, pay attention to potential, you know, positive and negative legislative. There's some things that we were actually able to uh, achieve in the last months through additional uh, workforce training to try to, to train and get more, you know, drivers to be available. Um, also through good tax policy to encourage investment uh, in Ohio and to strengthen our, our infrastructure uh, around, you know, roads and, and bridges and making sure that, you know, we position, you know, Ohio for, you know, future infrastructure needs and and what that growth and economic development may look like. Yeah, I think you've got hit it right on the head. I think D Doug and I both have been around this government affairs long enough that, you know, the IWLA is a good source of, of uh, when things might be happening. They're going to impact us. But again, the other organizations, whether it be the Chamber of Commerce, the State Trucking Association or, or other associations in your state are always good sources for potential legislative or regulatory activities that are going to impact you. But I also try to, you know, both Doug and I have relationships with state legislators and, and uh, political uh, office holders on the local level that you try to stay in touch with on a regular basis and have a discussion about what their plans are. What are they thinking of? What's going to come up on the next legislative calendar to try to stay, stay ahead of things. And I also try to, when I meet regularly with my elected officials that I have contacts with is let them know the things that I think are important for our industry that they may not even be thinking about that, uh, that they need to start putting on their kind of their agenda, things to discuss. 
So it's a, things happen in government can happen quickly and you got to stay, you got to be broad in your contacts and, uh, and stay on top of it through multiple sources of information. Now you both mentioned, you know, kind of these, you know, legislative wins or victories, government affairs activities that turned out successful for you. Let, let's talk about success stories for a minute. Uh, you've obviously both been involved in government affairs activities for thirty plus years now. What were some of the the biggest wins, quote unquote, um, that that you achieved uh, over that time? And you know, also, what did it take to get those wins? I, I, I want our listeners to understand kind of really what the involvement, and engagement, and and what the payoff can be at the end. Well, I mentioned earlier uh, some of the tort reform efforts that took place in Ohio, that Ohio had was considered one of the judicial hell holes based on some unintended consequences around some court cases and working over time, both on that tort reform, which allowed a much better uh, business environment to the point where our current insurance provider uh, would not have written policies in Ohio. Uh, prior to that tort reform, which would have made it very difficult to get insurance coverages, which would actually potentially put people out of business. Uh, in addition to that, a couple other things over the years that we worked on, uh, one of them through IWA in Ohio was the elimination of the inventory tax, which was encouraging people to move their warehouses to Kentucky, Indiana, and West Virginia due to a burdensome inventory tax that Put a tax on inventory. So that was able to be repealed and replaced with other funding mechanisms. Uh, one other one we had here in Ohio was uh, during the, the recession in 2008 on when federal mandated unemployment benefits got extended to 99 weeks. Those monies didn't come from the feds. Well, it was, came from the feds. It was a loan from the feds to the states, but the states had to pay that money back or be faced with penalties to the tune of $31 per person per year that ended up being cumulative if the money hadn't been paid back. Ohio had not paid that money back. So as a result, we were seeing very significant increases in our unemployment taxes each year, well beyond what the penalties from the feds were. So by working through the legislature, uh, we brought a solution to them that rather than have us be faced with penalties, do a one-time assessment that was less than that penalty, and we were able to eliminate that burden to to the employers in Ohio and actually solve that problem. And that came out of the coordination between IWA and OTA uh, for that solution in Ohio. So those are a couple of things that we were personally involved in that IWA did with the help of the OTA, in this case in Ohio, uh, to find not only the to solve the, the problem, but to offer the solution. Yeah, I would say on the federal level, Probably some of the biggest wins we've had, I'll, I'll go back first to the, or the things that we stopped from negative things that we stopped from happening. One of our early wins was defeating the ergonomic standards that the Clinton administration were trying to get passed uh, that would have been extremely onerous for us. And that took a multi-year effort. And that was one of the first big efforts that we had the IWLA membership, I guess, rally around and were part of a bigger coalition to finally get those standards defeated. After that would have been the forklift training standards, which we we got our, that was one of the first times where we actually had a seat at the table when they, uh, when we got that, when they, they uh, were, when OSHA was working on the forklift training standards. So it was, uh, 
that was a big win for us early on. We were able to get some things done that that was, I'll put it this way, some of the standards where the training could be done by union uh, operations. We also had that so that we could do that ourselves and get the same level of certification if the employer did it. it didn't have to just be the, the unions. And then, of course, the last one, which we talked about, I think, is the Food Safety Modernization Act was one of the big ones on the federal level. Beyond that, some of the, the best, some of the best things that we have been involved with is some of the funding allocations for infrastructure and having an impact into where some of these dollars are going, what types of infrastructure improvements are going to be, and and uh, and half hopefully back in. I can't remember what the year was, but we were even invited. I know I came before the the study committee of the transportation and infrastructure committee at the house to testify about our industry and national transportation policy. So, you know, being able to get a seat at the table and get in front of that kind of a group representing our industry and having our input in some of the what I'll call bigger policy decisions on the federal level was, uh, I think, real successes for us. And a couple other areas that uh, I know through our warehouse advocacy fund, which does some research to help industry related issues and concerns were around efforts by several state legislatures to try to raise revenues via sales tax on storage and handling services. I know Pennsylvania and Michigan were two of those that we were able to, through you know, research and support of our members and membership coordinated through IWLA, were able to educate those legislatures on why that was not good policy and could actually have some negative unintended consequences that they did not quite fully understand until we were able to provide that information and research. Mark mentioned you know, a couple other areas at the federal level where we are now a resource given that our visibility into the supply chain and the coordination between multiple modes, whether it be you know, from the, the steamship lines and the ports to the warehouse or the warehouse out to you know, the manufacturers or the retailers or to the truckers or between truckers and rail that were in probably one of the the best positions to be able to see where and how those goods are transferred and flow. And as a result, we're a pretty good independent resource for people that are trying to impact or initiate or uh, apply policy that we're a good resource given that we participate in all of those various modes. So we don't necessarily favor one over the other. We just want whatever is the most efficient uh, for our customers and for our communities. And just to, to follow up on that, yeah, I completely agree. Um, and it kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier, Mark, uh, how we've become, we've moved from being issue-oriented to being more proactive in, and with them where we do have a seat at the table. Uh, you know, we we get to meet with STB and with the wage and hour division at DOL and with, you know, Federal Maritime Commission, and, and we actually get to have our input in there. So, you know, I, I want to thank both of you for being leaders in those government affairs activities and getting us to where we are where we really do have uh, a more of a voice and, and we really hope to to grow that uh, even more over the coming years, obviously. So, and, you know, just to kind of to, to follow up and to finish up, but why would you suggest getting involved with government affairs in IWLA? What, what value does it bring to you? What do you see it doing for your family, for your business uh, and for the industry at large? 
Well, and I think Mark t- touched on it earlier, the fact that you know we owe it to our communities, to our families, to our businesses to be involved and and help you know those government officials create the best policies possible. And, and as anything, it seems the more you give, the more you receive. And it's been very rewarding to be able to establish some of the relationships and and have have an opportunity to have an impact. And if you don't make the effort, it'll never be done. And you can't just assume that somebody else is going to do it. I think I, I always sum it up best for for other members who who I encourage to get active is that you can either you can either have things done to you or you can have a voice about what is done. And better that we have a voice that are, are, you know, beyond your civic responsibilities, which we're, you know, responsible to try to try to have a, a good uh, government, good democracy for all of our employees, for our businesses, for everyone. But you've if you're if you're not there voicing your opinion or or giving information it's going to be very hard for public officials to make po- best policy decisions possible and mistakes will happen. And hopefully, you know, unfortunately those mistakes could be pretty significantly negatively impact your business, your family, uh, and, and your communities. So that's what I try to use to encourage everyone. I think it's, and, and again, as Doug pointed out, I think you find everybody has found it to be rewarding to, to play in the arena because I take no better pride in the fact that we may have had an impact on a policy, a national policy or state policy, or even a local policy by being able to speak to our local officials, elected officials, and hopefully voicing and providing information that led to a a better decision. Well, I just want to thank both of you gentlemen for your continued advocacy, involvement, engagement uh, with IWLA, with the industry as a whole, with our government affairs activities. I really look forward to continuing to work with both of you to, you know, spread our advocacy and and, uh, support the industry and really be the resource for warehouse logistics to Congress and to regulatory agencies and and to all policymakers out there. So thank you again, gentlemen. Um, I hope you have a wonderful day and uh, thank you for your time. Thanks. Thanks for the opportunity.